I don't know if you know this, but we are almost to the end of the book of Galatians. Uh, I, I sat down one day and said, I think we should probably walk through a book as a church, the book of Galatians, six chapters, probably take us five, six weeks. I think we're on week 13. Um, but we're coming up on Galatians 6, and in two weeks, we'll, be, we'll, have, we'll have learned together the entire book. So how cool is that? So we're going to jump into the last few verses of Galatians 5, but I want to tell you a quick story first. So uh, those of you who know me know that one of the places my passion, we'll call it, tends to get triggered uh, is when I'm in the car. Uh, I call it passion. You might call it road rage. And historically, when someone has decided to drive like a non-blessing, uh, I get quite agitated. Earlier in my life, not in recent history, you know, I have been known to invite someone to the side of the road to step out of their car, and I would teach them better driving skills. Um, over the years, I got a little bit more mellow, so when somebody cut me off or told me I was, you know, number one, I was the best out their window, um, I just responded by hitting the gas, right? Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Here we go. And I'd go around them, and, and I'm not saying it was good. It's just kind of who I am. Like, I've gotten to know myself that way. And I've noticed over time, I've been doing that a little bit less. And I'm driving toward Vandenberg Village the other day, and um, there's maybe a gap that would fit a tricycle between me and the car in front of me, and the guy on the left decides he wants to get in. And, and so he does, which requires me to slam on the brakes. Now, normally, I would immediately go left lane, hammer down, blow by him, and move over, and I didn't. I just kind of took my foot off the gas and I slowed down. And I, and I started to think about the number of times recently that I haven't responded like I usually do. And I thought, I kid you not, there's something wrong with me. I need to go to the doctor and get my testosterone checked. I am not the man I once was. My testosterone must just be in the basement. And then I thought, or... Maybe I'm starting to grow as a disciple and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in one of these holdout areas in my life. Anybody else have holdout areas? This is one of mine. I was like, hey, maybe I'm not getting weaker. Maybe I'm getting stronger. And so I was feeling really good about the way God is just kind of cultivating maturity and the fruit of the Spirit in me. And then I went golfing yesterday, and that all went out the window. You know you're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit when the other guy's golfing with you. We're like, hey, you might want to calm down. Um, hit the ball. Don't throw the club. There was, there was a little bit of that going on. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about how we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So we're going to talk about what it isn't, what it is, and then we're going to talk about how God just grows that in us. So we're going to jump into Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 22. This is Paul writing, you know, and he says, listen. He doesn't say listen. I say listen. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions, the desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and have crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. When you read the writings of Paul, his epistles, the, the book of Romans, you, you find that many of his letters draw a contrast between what he calls the flesh and the spirit. 
And Pastor Caden taught us last week that the flesh is our sinful human nature, that part of us that really wants to do the things that we shouldn't. And Paul illustrates the contrast, the difference between flesh and spirit with these two lists that he lays out. One of these lists he calls works, calls them works of the flesh, and the other list he calls fruit, or more specifically, fruit of the spirit. And these two lists represent Paul's vision for what happens when someone is born again, when they, when they come into God's family by putting their trust in Jesus. Paul teaches us that, that like we saw last week, he said they're made new. Last week we heard the stories and got to see the examples of men and women, children going into the waters of baptism to say, the old me has died and the new me is coming alive in Christ. I've been raised to life. That's what their shirts say. Now we start in this condition that Paul calls flesh. We're born into human families, and we find within us these, these desires that if we, if we give them full reign, if we give them full control, they produce the kinds of works that Caden read in verses 19 through verse 21 last week. Things like anger and jealousy, selfishness, dissension, violence. All of these things are in us. They're in us from birth. Let me tell you how I know. How many of you in the room are parents? Let me see your hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of those who just raised their hands saying, I'm a parent, had to teach their kids how to lie? I had, I had, one, I had one parent come, after me, come up to me after service and goes, listen, I didn't have to teach my kids how to lie. I just had to teach them how to do it right. I was like, no, 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 you've missed the point. My point is these things are in us from birth. If you haven't had any kids yet, and you've never had the joy of experiencing the fact that kids don't need to learn how to lie, let me show you what it looks like. Looks a little bit like this little boy right over here. Over there. Come see what over there. Did you eat some of it? No. No? No. You just looked at it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't eat it. I just Your looked at it. Gonna now, now, lest you think that we're picking on the boys here, little girls also don't need to be taught how to lie. Your mommy is going to be very upset with you. I didn't do it. Who put all of that? Mm -mm. Who put that on your face? I don't know. Ava, you have a marker in your hand. Hmm? Hmm? A marker. Who? Where? Did you do that? No, I didn't. Ava, are I don't know what you're talking about, Mom. I don't know what you're talking about. Because we have a sinful or a corrupted or a fallen nature, these things come out of us early and they come out of us often. And it's kind of cute when a little kid does it, but when a grown-up begins to live out all of the things that Pastor Caden talked about as works of the flesh last week, it's not pretty. And a family or a community where most people behave that way wouldn't be a very happy and it wouldn't be a very healthy place for us to be. This is not the kind of community, the kind of environment that God is wanting to create. And so, because he sees us in our fallen, our sinful nature, and he wants something better for us, God does something about it. He, he sends Jesus. And when, when people hear, their hear the gospel, when they, when they put their faith in Jesus, Scripture says something happens. They're, they're made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. 
And then the Bible describes this renewal, this being born again, as a movement from death and into life. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So we're made new. The Bible describes this renewal as moving from death to life. And what's left behind, what changes, what's different, what we leave behind as we move from death to life is the life in which the flesh determines who we are and how we behave. We actually leave that behind. This part of us that was just what the Bible calls a slave to sin is undone and we are able to live differently because the Bible says from that moment on, the moment of surrender to Christ, we become a new creation. No longer under control of the flesh, but now we follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. When we follow that, you, you still you tracking with me so far? Like, okay, I think this works. It does. When we follow the direction of the Holy Spirit, changes start to take place inside of us. Our lives begin to produce new and different things. Instead of the works of the flesh that once came naturally to us, as we follow the direction of the Holy Spirit, we get, begin to produce something of what the Bible would call noble character that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And the things that we read, the things that Paul lists, are the things that begin to grow in you by the Holy Spirit, not things that we somehow make ourselves do, but things that are cultivated within us by the Holy Spirit in our new life. These are things that the law could never produce because they're not behaviors that we just try really hard to adopt. See, you can tell when an unkind person is trying to be kind. It doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good when someone you know is not a kind person is pretending to be kind to you. Again, parents, you know what this is like when you look at one of your kids and go, you need to be nice to your sister. And little Johnny goes, fine. It doesn't feel nice. It doesn't feel good. So Paul is not asking us to pretend to do or be something we are not. He is inviting us to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in us so who we are on the inside begins to change. And when the Holy Spirit is working within us, one of the things that changes is new motivations begin to emerge. I don't have to try really hard not to run another driver off the road. I don't have to try really hard not to scream at him when he cuts me off. It actually becomes fairly normal just to take my foot off the gas and let the gap between us increase. Now, you and I still have a role to play. There is always this split-second decision that I get to make, staying with the road illustration, if somebody cuts me off. I can be like, not today, Satan, and go get him. Or I can let what the Holy Spirit is trying to cultivate in me be expressed through me. My mind and my will aren't bypassed, but as I learn to surrender them to the leading of the Holy Spirit, what comes out of me is different than what used to come out of me. So we have to set ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to choose spirit over flesh. And the more faithful we are, the more consistent we are to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, the more the fruit grows within us and the more natural it seems to be. This is why Pastor Caden spent some time last week talking about how Paul says, line up with, walk with, keep in step with, 
the Holy Spirit. That is our part. It's staying in right relationship and right understanding with the Spirit of God so that he can cultivate these things in us. So, so what are these things that he wants to c- cultivate in us? Let's, let's talk about them for a little bit. So let me take you back to verse 22 of Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces. Who produces? Guys, if you get nothing else, get this. This is something that the Spirit of God will do within you. This isn't something that you strain really hard to bring to fruition. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit, and it is the function of the Holy Spirit to cultivate these things in us. We have to partner with him. We have to surrender to him. But the beauty of what Paul is talking about is the heavy lifting is done by the Spirit of God, not the people of God. We make ourselves available, and he does the work. I don't know about you, but for me, that's like a, whew, thank you, Jesus. Okay, the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's important as we read that to remember why Paul is writing Galatians. So let me take you back there because it's been a while. There are legalists, Judaizers, who had come to Galatia, and they were teaching the church that they had to follow Jewish law. Jewish law was a legal structure to help people not do bad things. Don't murder, don't lie, don't covet, don't steal. The law helped people not do bad things. Now, It's one thing to try to master the flesh or overcome the flesh so that you don't do bad things. It's something else entirely to be good. You understand the difference? We're talking about transformation, new creation. We're not talking about behavior modification. Now, the legalist could boast about the bad things that he didn't do. But that's not the same as actually doing or being good. I had this thought as Pastor Caden was reading verses 19 through 21 last week. It's those 15 things, the works of the flesh. It's kind of a a really ugly list. And as we're reading that, I thought, you know, if we read that and there's 15 of them and go, I'm only doing four of the 15. I'm doing great. We've missed the point of new creation. The point of new creation is not to do fewer bad things. The point of new creation is to become a new kind of human being through whom the life of God is expressed. To overcome the works of the flesh, yes, but also to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit because we're living under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Think with me for just a second about the difference between works and fruit. Like a factory, a factory can make something. It can produce something. But in order for that factory to produce something, it requires a lot of stress and a lot of strain. Fruit grows organically. Fruit grows naturally. And I want you to keep those two pictures in your head because God is not inviting us into some sort of grind of a factory setting, he's inviting us into an organic relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. It's natural when we walk with the Spirit. 
And most importantly, only life can produce life. A factory can make things, but only something that is alive can produce living things. Paul has just said, we've been made alive by the Spirit, and so now the Spirit can create new life within us. And what do I mean by life produces life? Listen, joy produces joy. Love produces love. You know what it's like to be in the presence of a loving person. You know what it's like to be in the presence of a joyful person. Wendy's mom, Donna, is one of the most joyful people I have ever met. And it's seriously difficult to be grumpy and irritated in the presence of a joyful person. She's always laughing. She's always smiling. She's always singing. So it's kind of tough to be around her and go, Now, the opposite is true, is it not? You know what it's like to be around a grumpy person. Don't look around. Don't do it. It's just going to get you in trouble. They suck all the air and all of the life out of the room. But life produces life. So when we grow with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit begins to come out of us, it infects, it flavors the environment that we're in. Jesus said, listen, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Good fruit cannot be produced outside of partnership with Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit has to do with who we are as new creation people. The Bible has a lot to say about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Let me just point out three of them quickly. See, the Holy Spirit is deeply engaged with us as we follow Jesus. The Bible refers to the gift, singular, of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit has to do with salvation. Scripture says it's by grace that you have been saved by faith, and it goes on to say this is a gift of God. The Holy Spirit is gifted to us, joins himself to us as we are born again. The gifts, plural, of the Spirit have to do with service. Think 1 Corinthians 12. This is how the Holy Spirit works in us and works through us to advance the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit has to do with character. The fruit of the Spirit has to do with who you and I are becoming. And this is so critical, so important, because you and I are the only image of God that many people will ever see. And if what is coming out of you as you claim to represent Christ is good and kind and loving, then it suggests to people perhaps, just perhaps, their God is good and kind and loving too. And not like I may have imagined him in the past. And when Scripture says, when, when we think of fruit as something that God wants to grow in us, Grow is a very important word because things that grow take time. Anybody ever plant a garden? Ever go out the next day and try to harvest something? It's just not there. It takes time. It takes endurance. It takes consistency. And so sometimes as we're walking with Jesus, when we don't see the fruit of the Spirit coming out as readily or as often as we would hope, we become frustrated. And we might become discouraged and want to give up but you don't ever give up because fruit grows over time under the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's, let's look at them and, and talk about what they are. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The first one he lists is love. When he speaks of love, this is a divine love that God gives. Scripture says, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit. Why? To fill our hearts with his love. Paul starts here because I think all of the other fruit of the Spirit grow out of this initial seed of love. Grows out of the reality of having experienced and received the love of God. That's where it all begins. If you do not feel or believe that you are loved by God, you are not going to cultivate the rest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life because you are going to feel like you are disconnected and disaffected. So my prayer, the prayer of heaven, is that you would come to know the love of God, the the overwhelming, never-ending, undying love of God that is expressed through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As, as Rebecca was singing this morning, uh, in the second service, I just, hearing, hearing Spanish sung in our church just did something to my heart. And I'm, I'm crying in the front row, which felt super manly. Um, but I just began to intercede for everyone in our community who has ever felt disaffected or second class and has not experienced the love of God. That is where relationship begins, with people coming to know that the God of the universe deeply, passionately, and unapologetically loves them. After love, he speaks of joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a confident expectation that God will work on your behalf when trouble comes. It's an experience that you have, an emotion you have, as you remember, even in difficulty, God and his work up to this point, which is why it is not affected by outward circumstances. That's happiness. And happiness is great. And I would like to be happy all the time. But my experience so far has been I'm not going to. But I can find joy in challenge because I expect that God is going to come through like he always has no matter how hard things get. Then he goes on to speak of peace. Peace is security or harmony, or safety. It's a, in the words of the old hymn, it's a blessed assurance. Something that God gives us that is beyond our reason, our capacity to understand, but that grows out of our relationship with him. Then he says there is patience, which is courageous endurance without quitting. King James calls it long-suffering. What it means is that when I experience adversity, I will not be vengeful toward those who oppose me. I will be, at, I will be patient. I will not feel the need to strike back. Now, as we start talking about some of these things, it becomes super clear that God has to do this work, right? That is not our natural human response. Oh, I am going to be long-suffering. I will not be vengeful toward those who oppose me. Heck no. You oppose me, I'm going to invite you to the parking lot. That's that's my orientation. But as the Spirit of God does a work, patience begins to grow. Kindness. This is the beauty. Sometimes the Greek word means the same as the English word. Kindness means kind. It means kind and gentle, but in particular, toward those who oppose us. Goodness 
is love in action. I will sow goodness where others are sowing evil. Faithfulness speaks of dependability, loyalty. You will know that you can count on me. And then gentleness. Gentleness in Greek means power under control. Other translations call this meekness. And we can think meek means passive. It does not at all means passive. It has to do with the right use of power. I am going to exert my power. I am going to exert my authority in a way that is righteous, a way that builds others and doesn't tear them down. That's what it means to be gentle. Jesus described himself as meek. And I think we can all come to agreement fairly easily that he was not particularly weak. Self-control has to do with the ability to master your passions rather than be mastered by them. These are the building blocks that Paul gives us of a church or a people of God, things that can't be faked. Now, you can counterfeit some things. You can counterfeit some of the, the fruits of the Spirit, but you can't produce them. And the challenge with counterfeits is they are exposed over time. The counterfeit always proves to be a counterfeit. I was on the phone with somebody one day, and I'm, I'm sitting next to my wife, and um, they're making me very angry. I'm getting really frustrated on this call. And I'm, and I'm trying to keep that kind of steady, calm, gentle, patient, kind, good, loving voice. And so I'm talking to them like this, and I'm getting madder and madder, and I'm shaking my fist at the phone. And this is what's called counterfeiting. Because what's coming out of my mouth is not what's presence in my heart. And counterfeits are always exposed. So finally, I finished shaking and went, okay, goodbye. And I hung up. My wife looked at me and went, nice. Anybody else married to the Holy Spirit? Yeah? And I just I had to repent. So how do we become these kind of people? Not the fish-shaking one, but the one that is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, Paul tells us, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let me give you just five things that, that you, can, you can set your mind to that will help you be a person in whom the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow. So this is to answer the question, how do we follow the Holy Spirit in every part of our lives? Here's the first one. Resist legalism. Right, that's the whole point of this letter. Legalism are outwardly focused behaviors that determine value or belonging. Toss them. What, whatever, whatever comes into your head that wants to put people in categories or boxes according to their behavior, how good and godly they are or are not, you just need to flush it. Because we aren't invited, remember, to, be, to not be bad. We're invited to be made new. Next, I would say, cultivate spiritual fruit. And the emphasis really is not on spiritual. It should be on cultivate. We have to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Nobody plants a field, goes away for four weeks or two months, and comes back expecting to harvest. You have to cultivate the fruit in that field. And Paul says one of the ways that we cultivate the field in our life is by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, Paul is super pragmatic and super logical. He says, since you're living by the Spirit, which means since the Spirit gave you life, it will now be the Spirit who teaches you how to live. You don't start with the Spirit and finish on your own. 
you don't plant a seedling in good soil and come back in three weeks and transplant it into asphalt. It won't grow. So he says, if you want things to grow, finish the way you began, in step with the Holy Spirit. Number three, nurture the soil. Make sure you're getting what you need to grow. Our front yard right now kind of looks like a mud pit um, because we hadn't been doing a great job of watering it. We had some sprinklers that were busted, and so we had some dead spots, which created some holes. And so I wanted to reseed it. I wanted grass to grow. But I couldn't just walk out in the front yard and throw grass everywhere. So I had to put down topsoil, and then I had to put down seed, and then, so sorry to my neighbors, I had to put down a layer of steer manure, which doesn't smell great, but it really helps things grow. If you want something to grow, you have to make sure the soil is fertile. Right soil, right nutrients, water, and sunlight. That's what's going to make this grass grow. How does that relate to us? If Sunday is your only interaction with the Holy Spirit, you won't be getting what you need to grow. I'm not mad about it. I'm just telling you. If Sunday is your only interaction with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, you won't be getting what you need to grow. And so we're invited to read his word. We're invited to talk to him. We call that prayer. We're invited to to be in fellowship, in community, in life groups. Read, pray, worship. Make sure that the soil is able to receive the seed. And four, watch out for weeds. Wherever you try to plant something good, something bad's probably going to try to grow. So pull out the weeds whenever they, they try to take root. And for this kind of a conversation, those, those weeds are bitterness, jealousy, unforgiveness, maybe anything that was in the verse 19 through 21 works of the flesh. We have to, we have to pull them out. How, how do I pull them out? Well, if I see something rising up inside of me, Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. The first thing I have to do is not pretend it isn't there. I just, I have to acknowledge I am feeling that feeling. And feeling a feeling, there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we don't feel a feeling, we feed a feeling, right? You know the difference? That no good, dirty, that's feeding that feeling of anger, not feeling it. And so I got to acknowledge it. I am, I am entertaining bitterness. I am entertaining unforgiveness. So I acknowledge it, and then I repent. Lord, it's in me, I see it, you don't like it, forgive me. Help me to do something different. Help me to think, to act, to feel another way. Repentance means to turn, right, and go the other direction. So I acknowledge it, I repent it for it, and here's the critical one. Then I move on. It's done at that point. So if, if I want to pull out a weed, I pull it out. What I don't do is walk into the house with it. Take it into the shower. Sit down at dinner with it. But sometimes when we experience these things, we we think it's somehow taken us out of the the will or the life and the love of God, and we just get so stinking discouraged that I yelled at somebody on the freeway. First of all, don't yell at somebody on the freeway. But secondly, if you do, acknowledge it. Well, that was out of line. Jesus, forgive me, help me do better, and move on. Nobody gets more righteous for beating themselves up for past sins. Can I say that to you again? Nobody is made more righteous for beating themselves up for past sins. And finally, give what you grow. 
If you want to be a, be a person who cultivates the fruit of the Spirit, give away whatever is growing inside of you. Fruit, Paul doesn't use this illustration by accident, fruit is meant to be eaten. It's not meant to be put on display. That's plastic fruit. You know what happens when you take four bananas, stick them in a bowl, and leave them in the kitchen for two weeks. It's not good. It's not good. doesn't look good, doesn't smell good, and then the fruit flies come. Whatever God cultivates in you is meant to be given away. You're surrounded by people who are starving for peace, starving for love, dying for hope and joy. And so our presence should be a source of life. The point of Christians is not to look good. It's to taste good. Jesus said, or Scripture says, excuse me, taste and see that the Lord is good. Whatever is cultivated in your life is not for you alone. It is also for those around you. The fruit of the Spirit will change how you feel, and it should as these things grow in you, but it's for the good of others. This is a hard principle to remember. Whether it doesn't matter how long you've been in faith, we can, we can lose sight of this. I, I had a conversation one day. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to have a conversation with a Marine fighter pilot who lived in a, and served in a combat zone. Um, they're what you would call a little intense. And so I'm, when, when Wendy and I were very young in ministry, we'd only been pastoring our church for maybe a year or two, we invited this former Marine pilot who served in Vietnam to come down and minister at our church, and he did a great job. And then we went out to eat, and we're sitting across the table, and this guy who is probably a good six inches shorter than I am, probably weighs 40 pounds less, had me absolutely terrified because he was so intense. He goes, he looks at me, and I just think we're having this, this nice conversation, and we're, we're talking about the church, and he goes, what's your growth mechanism? <laughs> um, first of all, I thought I needed to stand up and salute. Um, I was like, I'm sorry? And he goes, what's your growth mechanism? And I'm like, shoot, I don't have a five-year plan. I don't, what, what is our growth mechanism? I, and I looked at him and I said, well, we give our best away. We just sent two leaders out to pastor their own churches. I said, we, we give our best away. And I felt pretty good about that. He took his finger, reached across the table, stuck it in my chest and said, there is no tip to your spear, young man. Well, apparently I'm doing this all wrong. And I, I, okay. And I thought about it. I said, you'll never grow your church that way. When I stopped crying, um, not, not really, I just, kind of on the inside. Who wants to cry in front of a Marine? Um, I just had this thought. I was like, you know what? God, God put me in this city, but he didn't put me here to grow a church. That's not my responsibility. God, God put me in this particular community to, to grow a people and to serve a city. And in order to do that, we give what we grow. And that has always been and always will be kind of a ministry focus for me and Wendy. Whatever God grows through our lives is meant to be given away. And if at the end of the day, I stand before heaven to hear God go, you gave too much away, I think I'm going to be okay. What you grow, you're meant to give. Now, Paul gives a, a long list of 
works of the flesh. He, he gives a long list of fruit of the Spirit. What Paul doesn't give us is a lot of how-tos. Like, if you, if you do these three things, you'll be perfect. The reason I think Paul doesn't give us a step-by-step guide to following the leading of the Holy Spirit, he just says, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, is because he assumes we have the capacity both to hear the Holy Spirit and respond to him already. I think that's why, I don't think Paul missed something. It's a pretty smart dude. I think he assumed we already could. Because when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. I think maybe Paul had in the back of his mind the echoes of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples and to you and to me. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, like me, who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. When later? When we're born again. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. That passage of Scripture is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture I have ever read for this reason. Jesus said to us, it is the Holy Spirit's job to lead you. And if it is the Holy Spirit's job to lead us, he will find a way to communicate so that we understand. He's God. He's got this. It's his responsibility to lead, and it's our responsibility to follow. So for me to live in step or in line or following the leading of the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit will tell me what I need to know or what I need to do. Now, when I was younger and I was praying for direction, this is what I expected. I expected to be sitting on my bed with my Bible in my lap, praying, and suddenly I would look up, I'd be able to see through the roof of my house, and a voice would go, John, this is what I want you to do. Do it now. And then do this. And that never happened. I never heard an audible voice of God. The the clouds never parted. But what I learned over time is I can tell when the Holy Spirit goes like this. Ever been nudged by the Holy Spirit? Now there's the don't do that nudge. That one's like, Oh, felt that. But then there's the also, hey, give him a call. Hey, send him a text. Let him know you're praying for him. So I have learned to look not for a shout, but for a nudge. And that's your job. When it comes to following the direction of the Holy Spirit, it's so very simple. Honor the nudge. When the Holy Spirit says something, pushes you in a particular direction, honor the nudge. Do what you feel he is telling you to do. You know the difference between the nudge of the Holy Spirit and your own selfish desires. I know you do because I know that I do. I've been hearing stories over the last couple of weeks from a bunch of people who are just, Holy Spirit nudged them. They will say something like this, I felt like we were supposed to. I felt the Lord leading me to. I felt like I should. What they are saying is the Holy Spirit led me and I am walking in line with him. I'm honoring the nudge. That's all Paul's inviting us to. Fruit of the Spirit grows over time. Be patient. 
but be faithful. Cultivate the soil, pull the weeds, and then trust that as we submit to his leading, the Holy Spirit will do the work to make things grow. Aren't you glad that he makes things grow and we don't have to? When we honor the nudge, we're living in line with the Holy Spirit's leading. When we live in line with the Holy Spirit's leading, our character changes and good things come out of us. When good things come out of us, people are brought into relationship with God because our fruit has been given away. Good? You doing all right? I'm done, so that's not the, that's not. I feel a certain kind of way about that. I'm done. Yes! There's coffee outside. Listen, I want, I want to tell you about something coming up, and then I want to pray for you, and then we're going to go hang out outside. There's great food. There's games. We just want to be family together. Um, this summer when our students went to camp, there was a, a couple named Yaz and Mo. Yaz and Mo are four-square missionaries to the Native American peoples in the U.S. So they travel around the country uh, ministering to Native American people. And when I heard them speaking to our students and I met them, I thought, we have to bring them to Lompoc. There is, there is a, a, an anointing on their lives. There is something about how they minister to people that I, I covet in a healthy way for our church. And so I, I sat down. I said, listen, you guys don't know me. I don't know you. Would you please come and minister at our church? And they're like, yeah, sure, great. So they're going to be here next week. So next week, Yaz and Mo Handel will be here in our 9 o'clock and our 1045 service. But I wanted to create more space for them to minister to us. So we will be adding an additional service. So we'll have a 6 p.m. Sunday night service. We'll worship together a little bit and just let them, let them begin to share some of what God is doing in and through them in, in the hope, really the expectation, that that's going to get into the soil here and we'll be able to do some of the same things. So um, telling you that so you can mark your calendars. Stand up. I want to pray for you. Bless the food. Um, and then if we can pray for you as we close, uh, we'll be here available to my left, your right. Jesus, your word teaches us that we are a royal priesthood. God, that we are a holy nation. That, that phrase royal priesthood means that you encourage us, you have commissioned us to serve as mediator between you and people, to bring them into your presence. And Lord, we don't want to be a people who does that solely by our words, but by the fruit of our lives, that when people see us, they would see you. Lord, that when we care, they would feel the care of heaven being brought to bear in their lives. So Lord, would you help us to continue to grow in our relationship with you, to be a people who cultivate right relationship with the Holy Spirit so our character can be shaped, formed into something that looks like you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's go hang out.